my remaining Sundays with you, I have just a handful of passages I want to preach by way of reminder of things that you already know in preparation for this season to come, whatever it may look like. And so the first one is this passage in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 through 16. And uh, I'd like to just read it and then pray and then just point out a couple of, of things that might be of encouragement and hopefully will be of help. So let's read the whole passage together and then we'll pray. Ephesians 4, starting at verse 11. And he, referring to Jesus, and Jesus gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Let's pray. Father, thank you for putting this passage in front of us today. Uh, would you please help us to receive it well in a, in a way that is nourishing to our souls, that's strengthening to our spiritual muscles, that is clarifying to our thinking in general, but especially as we are approaching a new season as a church family. Or speak to us clearly. Uh, you, you know our frame, that we are weak. You know that we get tired. You know that when we finally get still and sit in a pew, we get sluggish and drowsy. Uh, you know the distractions swirling in our minds. You know the worries and concerns. You know the emotions that we're experiencing that could distract us. Would you please just fill us with your Holy Spirit and strengthen us to receive your word, your powerful, transformative word right now. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. The first, really the only point uh, that I want to make from this passage that then has some, some explanation to it is that Jesus has equipped his church with what it needs for the work he's called it to do. Jesus has equipped his church for what it needs for the work that he has called it to do. Our Lord and Savior is very wise and very powerful, and he has given the church everything necessary for what he calls the church to do. Let's look back at those first two verses, verses 11 and 12. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. So think back to all the people that God has brought into your life as pastors, teachers, Christian mentors, examples, even Christian authors who've been helpful to you that you've not met but that you've read their, their books and they've been helpful, uh, good sound preachers that you've heard on the radio. Just Try to just get into your mind all the different people that God has brought into your life and used to bring you to Christ and to teach you and help you grow as a Christian. I'll give you a second to think about it. As that list is still populating in your memory, 
The older you are, the longer that list is likely to be. Now, why did God give you all those people? Why did he bring those people into your life? He could have not brought those people into your life, but he did, and he doesn't do anything at random. He did it on purpose. Why did he do that for us? Well, it teaches us right here that he brought them into your life to equip you for the work of ministry. That's why Jesus gave all these different types of ministers to the church. It was to equip the saints, which is the general word for all of us Christians who have been made holy through Jesus Christ. So all those people that brought up into your mind in that list, God brought into your life to equip you for the work of ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ. To be a saint, to be a Christian, is to be given work to do. If we were to give new believers after their baptism some token, uh, some object representing what they're entering into, it wouldn't be a seat cushion, like those things that I wish I had when I go watch Lillian play volleyball, those seat cushions. Like, we shouldn't give new church members seat cushions. We should give them, like, a hard hat or work gloves, something representing, okay, now we're here to get equipped and to get busy doing the work of ministry together, building up the body of Christ. That's, it's not the, the job of the pastors, preachers, teachers, apostles, prophets only. It's a work that God has called us all into, and he has given us, he has equipped us with exactly what we need in order to do that. So that's not a new idea, especially if you've been here for a while. You know, that's something we talk about a good bit. Now, when you think of building up the church, I'm curious what comes to your mind. Like, what is, if you were really going to roll your sleeves up and say, you know what, Matt's right. I'm, I am really going to dedicate myself to building up Doolin's Grove. What in your mind does that mean and look like? What are we supposed to be building this church up into? What are we supposed to be building toward? I'm curious what you would say if I brought you up here and had you answer that in the microphone. I'm not going to, although I could. Jesus has blueprints for his church. And we see part of that here as we continue reading in our passage. So let's read on into verse 13. What are we supposed to be working toward together? Actually, I'm sorry, Elias. I need to to start in 11 to get the running start into verse 13 so it makes sense. So we'll start back at verse 11. We're going to land in 13. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. All right, so that probably immediately may not be crystal clear exactly then what are we working toward. But it really amounts to two things, unity and maturity. Those are the two things this passage puts forward that we're supposed to be building each other and our church up toward, unity and maturity. Unity of faith and the knowledge of the Son of God. One danger in this season that we're entering into is that while I step back and for a season you don't have a senior pastor, it's going to open up opportunity for a lot of ideas to come from a lot more people than usual. Usually, many in the church just kind of let the pastor take the lead, and that's good. 
But there will be a season in which more people have more say regarding the direction of the church and, and big things and little things. And with more ideas from more diverse group of people comes more opportunity for disagreement about the right way forward in small things and in little things. How strong should the coffee be? And then bigger things too. And the more opportunity for disagreement, the more opportunity for disunity. And so on the front end, we need to go ahead and fasten into our minds that we are going to maintain unity. That is one of the two big things Jesus has equipped us to work toward and build up in the church. One of them is unity. If you look back at the beginning of Ephesians chapter 4, it's not going to be projected, but I just want to read the train of thought that led into our main passage. Paul writes in Ephesians 4.1, I therefore, a prisoner of the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. So if at any point you, you noticed even a whiff of disunity, remember Ephesians 4. And remember, our eagerness to maintain the bond of unity must surpass our eagerness toward any other particular idea or thought about the direction for the church. Unity is foundationally important, and we can't really move forward in any direction while we're in disunity. So remember Ephesians 4. And remember to operate toward each other in all humility, gentleness, patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. Because we are united, as he goes on in verse 4, he says, there's one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, and one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. So we are united in all the major ways. Let's just not forget it when we start talking about things in the future. If you begin to feel you have a notion about the way the church should move forward and others don't seem to agree, that's okay and to be expected. You should just expect it. Now you might remember I had an idea about the way I thought the church should move forward and, and spent years working toward it, uh, hoping that we could adopt an eldership model but it seemed we weren't ready yet, and we didn't all agree on that. And it's okay. I wasn't shocked. I wasn't surprised because it takes time to develop unity toward a direction as a church. So if that happens to your idea, you're like, man, I've been talking to people for weeks. I thought we should make really strong coffee in the morning, and they want weak coffee. That's okay, and it's to be expected. Let's be gentle, patient, kind, loving toward each other eager to maintain the bond of unity and trust that the Lord will guide us and we'll get there. This new season of the church can be a great opportunity to build unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God. This is a great season for us to come together and pray in a united way like we have not over the last decade. It's a great opportunity for us to come together and search the scriptures in a way that perhaps we haven't in the last several years, and that's what I would urge you to do. At every juncture, come together and pray. Come together and open your Bibles and see what the Lord has to say. Uh, for example, uh, we've been starting to gain some traction with our young families, with young children, and we all, I think, have felt the need to do a, a better job of ministering to our young families with young kids 
and for our children. You know, it may be that in the season ahead, people start to percolate with ideas of things that could be done there. I urge you not to just come with ideas, but to come and say, let's pray about this. And let's look together, what does the Bible say about young families with young children in the church? It probably will surprise you. It, it almost always does. And let the Bible guide you. And then you will not just experience traction and moving forward in a ministry direction. You'll experience that deep down unity that can only come through humbly going to Jesus Christ together in prayer and searching the scripture and coming together with the united perspective of what this says. So the two things that we are building toward is unity. The other one is maturity. It says to mature manhood to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. So let's just look at those words. Mature means, in the, the Greek word translated mature, just means to reach the fullest extent, to uh, reach a, a state of completion or perfection. It says mature manhood. That word manhood, it's a, a Greek word andra, which is where we get the word android from, which is like a man. Like, uh, it just kind of means the word man but not in the sense of masculinity. It's not that we're trying to build toward an extremely masculine, manly church. More in the sense of human. So the idea is, as we build up each other toward maturity, we're building each other up into what humanity was supposed to be like, what Adam was like before the fall, and what Christ is like. And that's clarified in the last phrase there, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. So as we think about building up the church toward this maturity, we're trying to build each other up to be more like Jesus. Jesus is what maturity looks like. I have a theory that if you're not a Christian, your maturity level is capped at a certain spot, and you won't be able to progress in maturity because true maturity is looking increasingly, increasingly like Jesus looks. And that's what we're after when we think about building up toward maturity. It's Christ-likeness. I think that's true, too, because as you read on into Ephesians 4, as it talks about all these character traits that we are supposed to be straining toward as Christians, it's a portrait of what Jesus was like. And I'm just going to list them out for you as a little self-assessment. How mature do you think you are right now? I'll give you a little self-assessment. It's like a little quiz in a magazine or something. So if you'll look down in verse... In chapter 4, you'll see these points I'm going to mention here in this little self-assessment. So moving toward maturity is moving away from falsehood and toward truth. Away from speaking falsehood and toward speaking the truth. So the more mature you are, the more true your words are. It's moving away from sinful anger and toward righteous anger rightly responded to, rightly expressed. It's moving away from stealing and moving toward hard work and generosity. It's moving away from corrupting talk and moving toward edifying talk, a way of using your words that builds people up. It's moving away from bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, and slander and moving toward kindness, tenderness, and forgiveness. These are the sorts of things, as we are building up the body of Christ, we will see grow in us as a church. As we build toward unity and maturity, it will be protective for our church. You know, my, my biggest concerns for Doolin's Grove don't come from the outside. They come from the inside because that's the way the Bible talks about it. 
You know, we could experience as the church in general great persecution in the future. But historically, persecution has only strengthened the church. It's like a forging fire that, that purifies it and strengthens it. It might be hard, but it would be strengthening. What can rot and decay a church is false belief getting in within the inside of the church and being spread inside of the church. That's what cripples a church, which is, I think, the, the line of thinking here in our passage. He goes on into verse 14. After reminding us that we're all equipped for this work of building up the church toward unity and maturity, he says, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. So the nightmare for me would be, my final Sunday being October 16th, on October 17th, everybody closes their Bibles and starts operating by gut instinct and starts reading bad books by bad authors who claim to be Christians but don't cite Scripture at all and start operating based on, well, this church over there does this, so let's do that. That would be the route to disaster. Keep the Bibles open so you're not tossed around, tossed to and fro by the waves of every passing doctrine and fad. Root your thinking in Scripture. All right, so we have our assignment. We have our blueprints. We are to work to build up the body of Christ toward unity and maturity. Now, if you're really thinking about this, you've got to be wondering how. Because I think we kind of understand how we can work toward unity and maturity kind of personally. Like we can determine, well, I personally will try to remain, remain united with my brothers and sisters. And I personally will try to grow toward Christ-likeness. But that's not what he's talking about here. He's talking about our responsibility to build each other up in unity and maturity. So what we're being assigned here and reminded here is that if any one of us is going to grow in unity and maturity, it's going to be because the rest of us have built that person up toward that. So how do we go about this? Verse 15 gives us the key. Verse 15. Rather, instead of being all tossed around by all these doctrinal shifts and whatnot, rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ. So there's really only one tool given to us for this work of building up the body of Christ, and that's our words, speaking the truth in love. What's going to make the difference between unity or disunity, maturity or immaturity, will be our words. I just want to let that sink in for a minute because sometimes I think that we underestimate the power and importance of our words. If you were to get up here and address the whole congregation with the microphone, you would probably think through that pretty pretty significantly because that would seem important. But your words to one another in casual conversation are also important. And they will make the difference between whether the church moves toward unity and maturity or whether the church moves toward disunity and immaturity. Your words, on the phone, by text, through social media, over a cup of coffee, in the foyer before or after the service, in the car with your spouse on the ride home. The words have always done the work. That's how God created everything, was with his words, he spoke it into existence. That's how God creates and 
builds up and establishes his church is through his written word here. And our words are similarly productive. They produce an outcome, whether that outcome be good or bad. It comes down to our words. So if we want to build up the church toward unity and maturity, let's break down what Jesus says here. First, just speaking, communicating. I do want to encourage you to communicate. Communicate with me. Communicate with each other. Listen well to one another. Speak thoughtfully to one another and with one another. Be here because communication doesn't happen when we're absent from one another and isolated from one another. Come early so you have time to interact before the service. Don't rush out after the service. Communication is going to be important. Speaking to one another and speaking with one another is very important. Stay in touch. But not just speaking, speaking the truth. Speaking the truth. Now, obviously, you shouldn't lie to each other. That's not news. But what the Bible has in view here is a little bit more specific than just general truth. What it's talking about here is the truths of Scripture. The capital T, truth of Scripture, is what we need to be speaking to each other. As we're thinking together, as we're processing together, I hope there's many opportunities where God brings Scripture to your mind. And you can say, well, wait, remember what this passage says. And remember what that passage says. I can't remember what it is, but it says something like this. Let's Google it and find it and read it. I hope there'll be many opportunities for you from your own study of the Word or after hearing a sermon to share with each other, man, I read this the other day, and it's so pertinent to what we're experiencing right now. This was so helpful to me in strengthening my faith. I just want to text it to you. Picture of your Bible in this passage that you highlighted. You see people starting to think in a way that doesn't quite ring true scripturally. You say, well, wait, hang on, let's Google. What does the Bible say about whatever the issue is that you're discussing? And then you'll find passages, and then you'll go and look and read it together. When you look at the Greek, which I'm no expert in, when it says speaking the truth, it's really one word, and it's truth, but as a verb. And it could literally be translated truthing each other. You know how, like, insulting is a, a verb. Like, if I insult someone, that's a, I'm speaking to them and it's doing something to them. Truthing would be the verb here. You're intruthing one another. You're instilling truth in each other. That's how we build up the church, by truthing each other. Now, I told you my nightmare would be the closed Bibles. My dream would be that your Bibles get worn thin over the course of the next several weeks and months. That you guys are blowing the covers off your Bibles and having to super glue them back together overnight. Speaking the truth in love. You know, what, one of my hopes is that as I make this transition I know it's difficult, it's difficult for me and it's difficult for you, but one of the good things that could come from it is that you begin to see each other perhaps a little bit more thoroughly than you may see each other now. You know, I'm still actually introducing people to each other that sit on this side versus sit on that side in the foyer. People who've been in the same tiny church together for for like 10 years. I'm like, wait a minute, have you ever met such and such? You're like, no, we've never been introduced. (laughs) I'm hoping that we will see each other. A lot of good can come from that. 
And what happens, as we speak the truth in love to one another, building each other up intentionally, it says what happens here. It says, rather, doing this, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ. We grow up into Christ. Verse 16, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. It's beautiful the way Jesus arranged the church to operate. And he's equipped the church with everything necessary to build itself up toward unity and maturity, the unity of faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, the maturity of Christ-likeness together, through the simple means of our words, truthing each other in love, speaking the truth to one another in love. And it all happens organically like your, your body grows. If you think back to when you grew as a child through adolescence, like you were just kind of witnessing that happen. If you were healthy and, and your body was connected to your head, it just sort of happened naturally over time, and that's how Jesus arranged the church to be. As we speak the truth and love to one another, we stay connected to the head, Jesus Christ, and we grow united and mature over time. It's beautiful. So my prayer is that this will be a season of perhaps unprecedented growth. Wouldn't that be awesome? Church grows like crazy during this time, and then everybody would just have to say, gosh, it's only the Lord. It's certainly not because Matt's such an awesome pastor. He abandoned us. But look what the Lord has done. That's just the kind of way he operates, too, so that he gets the glory, and no one person gets any glory. We might see him do amazing things during this season of our church. I'm praying for it and hoping for it. I want to pray for us now. And as I pray, we're going to kind of turn our focus a little bit we think about growing up into Christ and we remember that all this is in connection to Jesus. None of this is, is independent from him. Remember that he gave us a very physical and practical way of remembering that, reminding each other of that in the Lord's Supper. And so we're going to turn to the Lord's Supper after I pray. And we're going to do it in the traditional way that we used to always do it. For the first time in a long time, I was sitting there at the beginning of the service trying to remember how long has it been since we passed the plates of, with, the, with the bread and with the cup. And I, I, I really can't remember, but it's been a while. But that's how we'll do it this morning. So let's pray, and then I'll read the familiar instructions about the Lord's Supper. Would you bow with me? Father, thank you for giving us Jesus, the head of our church, the head of the church. Thank you that Jesus has equipped the church with everything necessary for the work he's called it to do. And we're grateful for that equipping, and we ask that you would help us to do our part. Each one of us, would you show with crystal clarity exactly how to function as we ought to in order to build up your church in unity and maturity. Please show us, each of us, how in our position with our network of relationships, to speak the truth in love to one another. And now as we turn to the Lord's Supper, just ask that you would search our hearts and clear us out of any unrepentant sin, any unconfessed sin. You convict us and bring it to the surface, not so that we could beat ourselves up and feel terrible, but so we could confess it and receive your cleansing and forgiveness. Or let the the bread represent Jesus' body to us and the, 
cup represent Jesus' Jesus's blood of the new covenant to us and reconnect us in a very real and vibrant way to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray.